Welcome to the Subject Leaders Podcast, the podcast for primary subject leaders from Aidan Severs Consulting. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to be speaking with a primary subject leader and digging into a couple of aspects of subject leadership to inspire you in your own leadership position. First, we'll talk about subject leadership in general, and then we'll focus in on a particular subject, learning from the experiences of today's guest. So, whether you're on a run, commuting to work, out for a walk with the dog, or just settling down with a cuppa, let's meet today's guest. My name's Sarah. I currently work at Westbourn Primary School in Manningham in Bradford. I've been there for nearly seven years now. I really enjoying it. It's quite a disadvantaged area, but that means um, we can do a lot of my really good work there, which I'm sure is the case for everywhere. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a primary teacher and a subject leader? Yes, so I have worked in Upper Key Stage 2 for my whole teaching career the past seven years, four years in year six and then three years in year five. I was first given music as a subject lead, but I didn't really know what to do with it and then was given DT in 2019. So I've been DT lead since 2019 and I've done quite a lot of work on our DT curriculum since then. Great. So is DT your subject specialism or have you got another? I have not done DT since I was um, in year 13, no, year 11, doing my GCSEs. It was just, I was asked to do it. Um, uh, I was, I do enjoy music. I've done a lot of music side of things, but I did biology at uni. So very different to what my skill set is, but I've got a lot of work in and I've done a lot of work in my own subject knowledge to sort of help me with. Yeah, I think that's really encouraging for other subject leaders because quite often in primary you end up leading a subject that isn't necessarily one that you've um, spent a lot of time learning about, whether at uni or otherwise. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how you've kind of developed your own knowledge of a subject in order to be able to lead it in school. So if the curriculum were being slimmed down, which subject would you fight hard to keep? I know I'm a DT lead, but since becoming DT lead, I realised that it is actually a really important subject. I think it provides children with lots of transferable skills that they need in later life. And if you think about our future, a lot of jobs that they're going to have in the future are going to be based on technology and designing and things like that. So I think that is a really good one. I think all of the subjects have their place Mm. in education it's just there are so many yes. <laughs> so it's really hard to say which one like we wouldn't need I think they all are like important in their own ways yeah it's a difficult question yeah <laughs> I think I'm just sitting on the fence on that one I'm not quite sure that's fine that's allowed so what do you love about being a subject leader I like that you're given responsibility and you get to try things out make mistakes as everyone does but like work through things and yeah it's given that that first step in if you did want to go into leadership you've, you have that first sort of like step a bit of responsibility and things mm. like that yeah it's a bit of a taster isn't it of, of yeah. what might be uh, available to you as a school leader in other roles and I think but, it also if you've only been in sort of one year group it makes you it, you then look at other parts 
like other year groups and things like that. So you're not just then stuck in your own bubble of key stage. You then look elsewhere and then you get more information about where the children are either going or coming from as well. Yeah, definitely. And if especially you've got time to get out of your class and to go and see your yeah. subjects' lessons in action and you do get to interact with lots more children of different ages. That's great. So let's get on to your big three questions that are really specific to you today. The first couple are ones that you will answer so that subject leaders of all subjects can learn from what your experiences have been. And the last one we will focus more in on your particular subject, DT. So the first question, how can subject leaders set clear objectives for their subjects curriculum? I had to quite think about this quite hard. And I thought about the journey that I've been on because I, when you first, when I became the subject lead for DT, I was like, I've not done DT since year 11. I don't even know what that means. Mm. What is DT in like primary school? And I won't lie, I got it wrong to begin with. I went straight in straight away saying, right, let's do X, Y, and Z. And it wasn't until later on in the journey that I realised that actually that's not the way to go about it. So especially if you're new, I don't think you should make any sort of objectives or t- before you have improved your own subject knowledge. Because if you've not taught the subject before or you don't really, you've not led that subject, you've not been studied it somewhere, then who are you to go and sort of say, right, we're doing this when you if you don't know if that's the right sort of thing. So I think like um, improving your own subject knowledge is massive to begin with. Um, and some of the foundation subjects the curriculum's actually quite big so some of the subjects have like two pages of the curriculum and um then key stage two it's over four years as well so it's about understanding what all of those sort of sections actually mean um i would research like organizations that are focused on that part of the curriculum as well so like um mary myatt is really good on Twitter. She, we've also had her come to one of our trust conferences, and she was really good. She has so many good resources for the foundation curriculum. She has um, lots of links to various different places. In our school, we've looked at the Historical Association for helping with our history curriculum, the Design and Technology Association for our DT curriculum. So. Um, it's about going out there and seeing what good resources there are out there that can help you understand what your subject is about, really. And then I think once you've um, improved your own subject knowledge, you need to look at what your school vision is for your children. Do you have a motto that talks about their learning? What are the values of the school? What do you expect the children to achieve by the end of it? Because your subject needs to fit into the values of the school um does this do you expect the children to learn through skills do you want them to um, learn in a different way so it's about how are you going to fit into the school's um vision of the children's journey of learning so that's that for me took quite a while so i did my mpqml a couple of years ago where I was reintroducing the DT curriculum to our school and a lot of work, it was months of work, went into 
subject knowledge and me finding out what DT actually was and putting that into the context of our school before I even then went to staff with what the changes were going to make. So only recently I brought about a long-term plan for a subject. Before our school had staff were able to decide what they wanted to do. Whereas I've realised since doing the MPQ that actually that doesn't that isn't good for children necessarily because it doesn't provide them with the consistency in their learning and the teaching in the school. So um, I think having a, a you creating a long term plan as a subject lead massively creates um, clear objectives so people know when they're going to be um, teaching something and then also creating a medium term plan as well so they know what knowledge or skills and it can be progressive and you could um, also making sure that we can link back to prior learning and things like that so I think having been a subject lead you need to have those two documents that you have made because then it's really clear on what they need to teach when they need to teach it and what knowledge they need to teach and the progression of it. Great so we can look at what what's out there and we can immerse ourselves as subject leaders into that to develop our own subject knowledge. And once we've done that and gone through that process, start to um, start to work out which objectives go where in which year group and to start to sequence those and see how they're going to build on each other. And yeah. you, you would advise a subject leader to do that themselves so that they really have that clear understanding of the curriculum yeah I, I think once you become a subject lead and you start implementing things you then become an expert in that subject so your um, teachers are going to come to you and ask you questions and expect you to provide an answer so if you don't know the answer then you need to like go about and find the time and it's really hard we talk about time and no one's got any time but it's advocating for the subject that you lead so if you need that time, then going for and asking for time from your school um, to, to be able to answer other people's questions by having the knowledge yourself and being confident in giving that knowledge. Yeah, so having that subject knowledge has got a greater purpose than just setting yeah. the objectives. It, it does so yeah. much more as well. It's, because I know I hate using the word Ofsted, but now they're going they ask you why you've made the decisions that you've made and if you you've got to be able to answer that so if you've gone away and researched about your subject you've improved your subject knowledge you will have those answers without even really needing to think about it because you've made decisions based on what you know great thanks so you mentioned earlier about the, the national curriculum and using that as part of your process for setting clear objectives how can subject leaders ensure that their subject's curriculum matches the national curriculum? I think main thing is you've got to read the national curriculum as your starting point, because that is what we are expected to teach. Some schools might not follow the national curriculum if they're an academy, but that most schools will do. So your starting point is reading the national curriculum. And I hold my hands up. I don't think as a teacher, I actually read the first part of the curriculum where it tells you that the purpose of the study until I became a subject lead and we so you not actually know why you are teaching that subject as a teacher I think is not very good and I need to that is something I have to change in myself but 
um, that is a starting point of reading the purpose of it because what your curriculum has to match that purpose through the skills and through the knowledge that you teach, which is nice and easy if you teach, if you lead on maths or English or science because there are lots and lots of individual, very small um, objectives that you are very clear. If you then go to art or MFL, it becomes a lot smaller and you've got to um, pick apart the actual bits that um, are in that curriculum. So it's about yeah, read, reading between the lines. So lots of things are put into one sentence where actually it might be two or three different parts to your subject's curriculum. So, for example, if you look at the art curriculum, it mentions drawing, painting and sculpting. Well, individually, they're quite massive things that you could draw out a lot of progression from all the way from nursery to year six. So it's about picking out those kind of key disciplines, I'm going to call them, within the subject that you can then form your curriculum on. So in um, DT, it's your you've got textiles and mechanics and electricity and structures they're the sort of disciplines that you do DT within geography you've got your physical geography and your locational knowledge and um is it yeah it's about finding what is going to be the main sort of themes within that subject that you can show progression in and then identifying the skills that the children are going to have to need to um meet those that criteria of the curriculum like I said before um I'd go out and find people who have looked at that curriculum and have pulled that apart um I always say don't reinvent the wheel or work smarter not harder so not necessarily just taking things straight away but using what other people have learned and found out and helping that with sort of what you are trying to do as well so, so we circle back, don't we, to some of your answer to the first question in that you're going to use the structure of the national curriculum, but actually you are going to fill in the gaps. You're going to read between the lines. You're going to make some inferences and you're going to bring that knowledge that you've gained of your subject to actually what does painting look like, for example. So do you think that skills continuum or continua are a good idea when developing a subject based on a national curriculum outline that doesn't give that much detail? That is, that's what we, the, our school, the route that we've gone down, we are very much teaching the subject through skills. So through history, we teach historical skills. So looking at primary and secondary sources while looking at the different aspects of history, teaching DT through specific skills. and we're developing our art curriculum to do the same so we are very much teaching through a progression of skills because drawing should look if you're looking at art drawing should look very different between a nursery child and a year six child sometimes it doesn't but we need to work our curriculum should give them the the tools and the skills to improve and progress so I think focusing on the skills and showing how you are how that is taught differently from year six that down yet to year one is a really good way of like teaching the especially the foundation subjects and I, I am assuming that that goes along with knowledge that has been specified as well so that you've got knowledge and skills yes so we teach so we have a specific knowledge that we'll teach 
um, which our subject leads are now um, specifically writing in medium-term plans. So you have um, specific knowledge that you will teach alongside the skills. So for example, in DT, you might be, the skill is joining two things together, but the knowledge is that if you cut an arts drawing into, at the end, it will stick easily. Or the knowledge, if you are cooking, that you need to knead the bread um, for, to stretch the gluten so the bread will not be so tough, whereas the skill is just the kneading. So they go sort of hand in hand together, the knowledge and the skills. Right. And just one more question on this with the national curriculum. Do you feel like it's freeing or constraining to have that maybe one or two pages of objectives as opposed to, like you said, with maths and English and science, where it's actually quite a full curriculum? Oh, that is a hard question because you want to have the creativity and the freedom to for the children to express themselves and do things their own way. But then an art curriculum, maths, will probably look quite similar in whatever school you go in because you have to teach those things but the foundations will look quite different which is not necessarily a bad thing but when you are when you know in mass you have to teach a certain something in a certain year group it may it does make your life easier but I think schools are now taking the time to separate the curriculum out into specific year groups so they are I think it, it, it is good that you are able to fit the curriculum to your school because Manningham is a very, very different place to even um, 10 minutes, like I know, Ilkley, which is a couple of miles, miles away. So our children's experiences are very different. So we, what we do in our curriculum matches the experience they've had or what we can give them to, for their education. So I think it does mean that you can t tailor it to your school a bit more rather than being fixed and so you have to do this in this year group because our children might not be as advanced in their arts girls compared to other schools so we can then tailor it to what their needs are yeah it does it does provide that flexibility doesn't it even if that initial look at it think you think what on earth are we supposed to do with this If you're a subject leader in a primary school and you have great ideas to share and you'd like to appear as a guest on this podcast, get in touch with me on social media or email me at info at Let's move on to your last question. I know we've referred to DT and some other subjects already, but this this question's very particularly about DT. So you've and you've mentioned a little bit about this already. So I, I wondered if we could explore it some more. So how can teachers themselves develop the subject knowledge needed to be able to teach DT? So I think the first step is that your your subject lead has to be knowledgeable because. As, uh, as a teacher, you are probably going to get a lot of the knowledge from your subject lead through your CPD time. And unless you, as a teacher, go off and do um, the research yourself. Um, I think the what I told my staff was basically what DT is, because we 
were not teaching DT um, prior to 2020 or even before after that. Um, we were teaching craft. So people were making Tudor houses or Viking longships or shields or hats. And I thought that was DT. They're making in, in the DT curriculum, it says you need to design, make, and evaluate. However, DT is actually designing something for somebody for a purpose. And that is the really important thing that purpose, it has to have a purpose, otherwise, it isn't DT. So, gone are the days where we now make Greek pots out of clay, which is even more of an art um, objective than DT. So, that is at the the bare bones of our DT. Our children are designing something for somebody for some purpose. And that came from the Design and Technology Association. They call it the three S's to keep it nice and simple. Um, if you have not got a membership as a school for the Design and Technology Association, I really recommend it because they have so many great resources that you can use for your school. And it's not a scheme of work like you might get with Plan B or Kapow. You, it gives you um, a framework that you can use to then put into a context for your school that benefits your children that I thought was really good. Then, so you've got the three S's, which is DT. Then it's understanding that DT is actually split into what I'm going to call disciplines. I've mentioned a bit earlier that we've got mechanisms, textiles, structures, food and electrical systems. Now, in the national curriculum, that they're put in the squared brackets, which says you don't have to teach those things. It's not statutory. But actually, it's giving you a hint there of what your curriculum could involve. So include. So I think it, that is a good starting point for making sure that you are including those different parts in your curriculum. So we cover DT over a key stage. So they cover those different disciplines over year one and two, three and four, and five and six. And so we don't do DT every term. We do it once a term, so three times a year. So they do six different units over two years. And that the third thing that I think is really important is that DT is a process. That, that And it's the same process every single time that you do DT. So children need to start by evaluating what is already out there. So evaluating existing products to know what's out there, what other people have designed, taking things apart. I know often we look at post, but we do a lot of things with pictures so they can see things and we try to get things in as well. Once you've um, evaluated what's already out there, we then teach them the specific skills that they're going to need later on because decisions about how they're going to do something if they don't actually know the skill that's involved. So for example, if they're doing textiles, we'll teach them sewing stitches, or if they're cooking, we'll teach them knife skills or health and safety and kneading if we're making bread. And then after we've done all that, we then go into designing, making their own and evaluating. And what I tell my staff is that you should not have 30 of the same in your class. They should all be different because the children need to be making their own decisions 
and working through problems, which are great life skills for later in life, decision making and working through problems. And then we also make sure that it's um, looking at the skills. So we were a school that was quite, um, we linked a lot of things and DT often gets linked to history, which I saw an article about why we're linking design and technology history when we're supposed to be innovative and looking forward and future thinking. So now we, all our topic, our units are standalone, but they might have, we link a lot to science and maths because it's the STEM subjects so that we make links where there are strong links. We don't make tenuous, we really focus on teaching those DT skills. So then none of the subjects are watered down. The, the children get a really good, um, deal with all of the subjects rather than mixing them and trying to make tenuous links and yeah so that is sort of the key things that I think are a good fit for a DT curriculum. Yeah I think that's it's really interesting the things you've outlined as things that teachers need to know because you there's there's one way of answering that question which would be how to saw a piece of wood, how to solder some electronic um, components together. But you've actually gone before all of that, before you get to those kind of details, you actually need to know what DT is, what its purpose is. You actually need to know about that iterative design process and what those different stages are. And if you've got those pieces of knowledge, that understanding, you you can run a unit a lot more successfully regardless of whether it's woodwork or fabric or um food because because you've got those basic underpinning structures to the unit where would you what would you say to teachers who had had got that knowledge that you've just outlined but then do want that more um discipline specific knowledge so um I'm going to refer back to the Design and Association, Technology Association, um, because they we use their projects on the page, which are a fabulous resource, um, and because it goes through all of what I've just done, and then the, it goes through the really specific um, things that you can teach them. So if you, for example, are doing structures, it tells you exactly how you can make joins. So our school... Um, doesn't have huge amounts of DT resources we do have some but you can do DT without a soldering iron you don't we don't have saws we don't have wood but what we art straws you are a fabulous resource they're cheap you can cut them the children you can color them so it's about um thinking what you already have in school rather than you don't feel that you have to give a child a saw um because you've seen other schools doing it so and I think if you have that sort of, those sorts of tools built into your school already, you could probably do that easily. But for us, we decided that our staff didn't feel confident in using those tools. The children hadn't really learned how to use them. So we've gone for um, a con uh, units that fit with our children and what we have. Um, but I think if, you, if you're looking for... Um, how to the specific things than looking at the projects on a page because they give you lots of advice on like specific skills that you can teach them or different ways that you could do it that might fit your school. 
So this makes this curriculum that you're talking about accessible to anyone. It's not limited by the resources you have. No, it's not limited to the resources. So what you can what you can do with wood, you can do with an art straw. It's just a lot cheaper and easier to use. Um, we are very lucky that we have a, a like a cooking room, um, so we can do. We do have ovens and things like that. Other schools might not be as lucky. It's not until year five and six that we start using a heat source. So it could be that um, what you you decide to make in the institute fits the school that you have. You could also get portable gas burners if you're thinking of different ways that you could do things. But it's you've, if you don't have something, it's about thinking cleverly about what you do have. So it's what, think what you do have and how you can use that effectively in DT. And I say it doesn't have to, as long as it functions and it's doing the right thing, you can talk about in your evaluation why it's not colourful um, as long as you can, it's um, a project that works and they can talk about it. And if things go wrong, great, because children can then start to problem solve and think about um, what, how, what they could have done differently. How could they have made it work? It didn't work and things like that. It's, it's kind of a good learning curve if not everything works. I'm going to throw in one more question. So you mentioned the design process earlier in your answer. Do you think that in each unit, children have to work through that entire process? Or is there another way of doing it where teachers might provide some parts of the process and you focus on particular aspects? I think it is good for children to have that full cycle. Um, I think sometimes we might need to support them. So in younger years, they work together to create a design criteria. So there's a lot of adult support. But who are we to dampen down our children's creativity? If we're telling them that your, um, your phone case, we do phone cases in year six, um, your phone case has to be, um, uh, I don't know, blue or something like that, or it's got to have four sides, That I think that then restricts them. We need to let them be creative, think for themselves, and have that full cycle. And it goes, I chose to do it like this because it goes to consistency. Our children will always follow the same cycle. So they always know that they will be looking at different products first. And if they're always doing that, they're going to get better and better and better at it. But if we then take bits of the process out, they're then not going back and recapping that skill and then they don't know oh, are we doing this part today are we not it's always the same so it doesn't matter what year group they go into that is the cycle that they are going to follow so they can really focus on the things that they do need to learn and then not think oh well well I don't want to do that it's giving them the freedom and the opportunity to do their own individual thinking. So rather than take parts out, you will support different parts and, and work towards maybe more autonomy as the children get older and they yes. can carry out that process alone, yeah. having carried it out multiple times before. Yeah, so things start out very much <clears throat> supported and scaffolded down in year one with lots of adult support, working groups, and then as they move up, that's the progression. Things get the um, do it themselves more. So in year six, they're their own design criteria their own product it's more something that they've done themselves obviously children 
individual children might need that extra bit of support. And the way that the units progress, if a child can't so, that they can go back and maybe look at um, year one or two and see if they can do, still do the same thing, but maybe in a slightly different way. So it's being inclusive. So everyone will create the same thing by the end, but it will look slightly different and have got there in a slightly different way. Great. Thank you so much for your answers today. Thank you for taking the time out of your day as well to chat to me and to to be a guest on this podcast. Do you want to add any final words to what you've said today? I think I've basically I've been pitching design and technology association. If you don't have any DT curriculum, they are the people to go and find it all out from. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. See for you having later. Me. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Subject Leaders Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that it will help you as you lead your team in the teaching of your subject. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please take a few moments to rate and follow us on your podcast app. And if you found this episode useful, why not share it on social media? We'll see you next time for another episode of the Subject Leaders Podcast. In the meantime, why not come and say hello to us on social media, on Twitter at Aidan Severs and at facebook.com slash Aidan Severs.